Today on the podcast, we have Tammy Simon, who's the founder of Sounds True, a multimedia publishing company with the mission of disseminating spiritual wisdom. Tammy has dedicated her life to both exploring and assisting others on their spiritual journey. In addition to being a publisher, she is also an author and a podcast host of Insights from the Edge. Tammy's interviewed thousands of experts on spiritual journeys, and we talked to her today about what has she seen as common themes as people start to embark on these. We also talk about the growth of spiritual journeys in our society, the growth of mindfulness, and her opinions on, uh, on the net effects of those and whether they've been positive or negative. We also talked to her about the collision of mysticism with science and some of the things that we're not talking about now that we will be in the near future. She also shares some concerns she has about the environment and our ability to have empathy for one another. Here's Tammy Simon. Thank you, Tammy, for being part of the podcast today. Start off with a question around spiritual transformation. You've been doing a lot of interviews around this topic, and it's really been almost a, a part of your it's almost been your life journey. Is that correct? I, kind of I think that's fair to say for 35, yeah. 35 years now. You know, have you seen, because you, you've been interviewing probably thousands of people and spending a, f- a fair amount of your own time doing some deep work on this. And I know every journey is very individual. It, it takes on its own path. But have you seen kind of a, for lack of a better phrase, like an 80-20 where you kind of say, hey, I see some common threads across some of these Buddhist teachings, some of the things that some of these scientists are saying, some of the things that, uh, you know, other walks of life that are, are trying to address this. Have you seen some threads of commonality you could latch onto, or at least say, okay, this seems to be a path for spiritual transformation for maybe many people? Sure. Well, it's a, it's a huge question that you're asking. And is there an archetypal map for the journey of transformation? And I would say, yes, there is an archetypal map and that it often involves going into the depth of shedding, of loss, of giving up. And really what we're giving up, what we're losing is an identity that we've latched onto, that we've grown into in our early life of being a separate individual. Really to me, the core of the spiritual journey is that transformation of identity, where we move out of identification with our separateness, which also leaves us feeling disconnected, not quite part of it all. Somehow like we we have power, then we don't have power. Why do I feel so alone? We move out of that feeling of separation into knowing ourselves as an expression of life, as part of life, as inseparable, interdependent with everything. And that's a huge change that people go through and it makes all the difference. It you know, once you've gone through that transformation process and you no longer identify with 
what Eckhart Tolle calls the little me, the separate person, and you know that you are an expression of life, you also feel heartfully connected to everybody and everything. And it changes your view on life. So, I mean, that's like a, a very general thing to say no, that's, in, that's, in response to what was a very big question. Yeah. And to underscore what you said, every human makes their own unique path. And it's not a one-time thing, except for very few humans, do they ever make a one-time kind of transformation full-blown transformation. Oh, I get it. I'm not that separate person. But why am I feeling, even after I've gone through big awakening experiences and big transformational experiences, in this moment, I do feel separate. Oh, more work to be done, more discovery to be, to be done. You know, I was asking uh, Mel Schwartz this a couple of weeks ago. Why do you think, do you think it's our life journey to go through this? Because if our natural state is that connectiveness, uh, knowing ourselves. What happened? Where did we get off path? Is it our, our modern well, I don't world? Well, I don't think we're off. I don't think we're off. I think that this is the path of being a human being. I think when we're young and we're two, three, four, five, we're discovering our ability to impact, do it myself, do it myself. I, we're, oh my God, I have power. That is the development of ego. Nothing wrong with it at all. It's natural. And I also think there's something natural in us as human beings. It's a kind of homing instinct in us that says, I sense there's something more available. Uh, the life I'm living right now feels a little flat. Doesn't quite feel like I'm tasting the fullness, the richness, the depth. Uh, something's not quite right. What? What? I'm missing something. And we get that feeling. We go, I want more. I want more depth. I want more contentment. I want more connection and love with other people. I want more of a sense of purpose in my life. All of this, all of that propels and moves us forward. And, you know, a path that I've been studying very deeply lately in my life is known as the diamond approach. It was developed by A.H. Almas. And he talks about something that he calls the optimizing force that lives inside human beings, that we're always going for greater optimization, that our soul actually wants that and pushes us forward. So I think that's natural. It's not at all something to be pathologized. We're not off track. We're human beings who went through an early ego development, perfect. And now the next phase of our development is to move beyond that. And that thing in us that's pushing us, where we hear that call inside, and that sense, maybe it's that 2 a.m. wake-up call, and we have that question, is this all there is? I don't think so. You know, then we start reading spiritual books. We start listening to conversations like this. Yeah. That's normal. It's the higher stages of adult development. I think as we get into the higher reaches of adult development, we find spiritual awakening there. And then we keep growing and we keep growing. It's embedded in us as humans. I'm watching this trend and I come at from a very different lens. I'm coming from a, from a, cons I watch consumer spending and I'm starting to see consumer spending move away from maybe the search for uh, things outside themselves or material goods 
to spending more time and energy and money on early stages of transformational movement. We're starting to see it in travel a little bit more. They don't want to sit by the infinity pool for two weeks. They want to go on something and come back with an experience that maybe they feel that, that they're different. I'm starting to see this trend. You know, you start to see it with obvious, you know, the growth in meditation apps on the smartphones. And I'm just wondering, you're, you've been doing this for a long time. Am I off or are you, seeing, are you seeing more of a consciousness around this from a society standpoint that more people seem to be talking about what you're talking about? Yeah, I think, I think it's true. Uh, so I think you're onto something and interesting that you're looking at it through the lens you're looking at it through the economic yeah. lens, which is completely valid. And of course, our business here at Sounds True is growing. Uh, as a, as a data point, we have a mindfulness meditation teacher certification program that trains people to be mindfulness teachers. So these are people who are committed enough to do a two-year program wow. so that they can become teachers of mindfulness in the world. And, you know, when we started, we had 300 people sign up. Then we had about 1,200 people sign up. And this past year, we have 2,500 people going through the program to become mindfulness teachers. Now, my interest 35 years ago when I started Sounds True as a 22-year-old wasn't, I want to get ahead of the market, and I see this is where the market's going. That's not where I was coming from. Where I was coming from is I grew up in a family that had material wealth, and I was suffering as a person. And I had an early instinct that there was more, as I was describing to you, in life. And I found lifelines in great literature, writings by people like Herman Hesse and Alan Watts, spiritual literature, literature that talked about this inner path of spiritual awakening. And I wanted to throw out those kinds of lifelines to other people through audio, through books, through video programming and now online courses and training programs. So that's really where I was coming from. Now, one of the phenomenons that I think we've also seen over the past few decades is people moving away from traditional religious communities. So in the past, more people would see that their source of sustenance, their source of meaning was their church or their synagogue or their religious group. Now, just because people aren't getting that need fed by religious groups doesn't mean that the need still isn't there for people to have a sense of what is the ultimate meaning of life. As I go to my deathbed, did I live well? Did I give my gifts? Did I raise my children well? So you could call it the religious instinct if you want, or a spiritual instinct. I'm using the word instinct because it's native to us. It's not going away. So if we're not putting our time and energy into our community church or synagogue, where are we putting that energy? Oh, I'm gonna become a mindfulness meditation teacher. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna have a mindfulness community that meets and meditates together. So I also think that's a very important phenomenon over the past few decades to track. And I don't know how that dovetails 
with your economic research, but I think it's very important. Mindfulness growth around that is is definitely something that's not a flash in the pan. It definitely seems to be something, it's not a flavor of the month. It's sticking. And it's interesting because different groups will call it different things because just naming the activity, I think, comes with a certain, uh, the Marines are more comfortable calling it box breathing or square breathing. Like insurance companies and Silicon Valley, much more comfortable calling it mindfulness. And other groups that are maybe more spiritual are calling it meditation. And I imagine there's going to be a lot more names to it as it starts to go into off into other areas. But that is something that's probably, I haven't seen a measure on it, but it, I would think just based on what you're talking about and the the number of apps and the way it's out there in the conversation, it is definitely a, a measurable phenomenon. I think there's another societal factor that we can look at, which is people are not getting some of their needs met by traditional medicine as well. So whether that's psychiatric medication. Oh God, there are all these side effects. It's not really working the way I thought it would. Oh, I went to my traditional medical doctor. They can't even find a diagnosis for what I have. So people who are interested now in self-care, oh, by doing a breathing practice, I can change the way that my brain uh, uh, responds in certain situations and I can address problems like anxiety and depression through exercise and nutrition and breathing practices. I mean, this is huge. It's huge because people are getting it that lifestyle changes make a huge difference to our health. And these lifestyle changes are under our control. It's not that hard to take a, I'll just give you a personal example. I started developing back pain over the pandemic because I wasn't working in my normal environment, having my normal amount of exercise. Okay, I'm now taking a Kaiute yoga class. I'd never even heard of Kaiute yoga before, but somebody recommended it to me. And I'm just using this as a personal anecdote, Mike, yeah. to give you a sense sure. because it's like $15 a class and my back pain goes away. Three classes a week, I don't have back pain. Is that the best money I've ever spent? Yes. What am I doing in the class? It helps you undo the seated posture and breathe deeply into your joints. I am breathing deeply into my joints by being on the floor with a bolster and a yoga mat. Yeah. This is huge and the most valuable money I spend every week on this class. So this is a big discovery for people that instead of finding my way to a surgeon's office or taking some type of medicine that will clearly have detrimental side effects, I can breathe on the floor for 50 minutes, three times a week. Okay, I'm in. Definitely think it's a generational thing, uh, but I, I talked to my parents about their healthcare, and I think it was often considered something that got told to you rather than something you owned. And the whole idea of if, if you own your wellness, it's a totally different perspective than that doctor telling you what you have. You know? I, th I think it's interesting that you brought up your aging parents as well, because now as we age, you know, I'm approaching 60 and it's like, oh, I want to have a different kind of last decades of my life. I want to be really healthy and I yeah. know this is under my control. So when it comes to focusing on longevity, fitness and vitality, that's a big driver as well. 
physical vitality and mental sharpness and wanting to avoid certain kinds of illnesses, etc. I think that's all huge. If we're moving from a product-based economy to a service-based economy to maybe one that's more transformational, when we had people buying products, there was like the underwriters laboratory and there were companies out there that food, uh, truth in advertising. And there were a lot of things out there that maybe, maybe didn't do as good a job, but at least we're structurally out there to try and protect people from buying unsafe products. Um, and then in services, you've got the Better Business Bureau and you've got different things. When you start looking at this whole transformational area, there really isn't a, a watchdog out there. Uh, maybe you are that much. So I take a look at who you have on your podcast, and it's clearly not the book tour podcasts of self-help and enlightenment that might be on other podcasts, if you know what I mean. And I'm wondering how you wean that out. Is is it instinctive? Are you researching this? Because there's a ton of books out there now on transformation or people that are, I don't know, telling you this is how you should do it. This is how yeah. I did it. This is how you should yeah. do it. And, and there's really not, no one stopped from writing a book, no matter who they are, whether a celebrity or athlete or just an average person who just wants to write a book with a swear at the t in the beginning of it. And it sells a lot of books, um, but they're not. Well, of course, there's no, there, there, there isn't any kind of uh, accrediting body or discrediting body. And there's a tremendous amount of snake oil that is available when it comes to personal health and it, when it comes to personal spirituality. I mean, here it sounds true. We know that our integrity is our number one, uh, the quality we have that our audience has come to count on. Yeah. And we take it seriously. We have a team of people who vet all the people that we work with. And are we always right? I mean, sometimes it's come out five, 10 years later that one of the authors we supported uh, perhaps crossed certain boundaries, et cetera, within their community. And you know, then we have to make the hard decision and remove that author from our author list. And we do, we do make those decisions and we do remove those authors. So even doing the research as best as we can and wanting to hold our authors to a high standard of accountability, we're not always right. Okay, uh, we're committed to it though. Another thing that we're committed to is not just selling people what they wanna buy, which might sound easy, but you know, people want like five easy steps to enlightenment. They, they wanna think that they're never gonna feel pain again. Even when I describe to you the journey out of feeling like a separate individual to feeling connected with all of life, it was very important to me that I emphasized that it's not a one-time kind of thing. Like sometimes I think people describe enlightenment and it's like, you know, I was forever changed after this singular moment in time. And for a, a handful of individuals, it appears that that may be the case. For most of us mortals, what we find is that there are unprocessed parts of us that continue to surface throughout our lifetime. There's always more work, more growth to be done. And I think this idea that we're always growing and working on ourselves, this is part of the premise of Insights at the Edge, the podcast I host that you referenced, yep. where I ask people, what's your edge? What are you working on? How are you still growing? What's challenging for you right now? And part of the importance in that is that when people go through tough times, 
and we all go through tough times. So maybe somebody's having an experience where they lost someone close to them and they're deeply grieving, or they're having some other kind of huge challenge in their life. After they supposedly did everything right, they did all the right exercises, they ate all the right foods, then what they think is that there's something wrong with them. I'm a failure, you know, and I never want that because that's not the case. We all get challenged. And when we get big challenges, that's not the time to turn on ourselves and think we're bad spiritual students. That's the time to actually get more support, recognize that we're in a big growth challenge in our life and that we can get through the other side of it. And it's natural to the journey. It's natural to the journey. So it's really important to me. And I'm sharing that with you because I think part of the way we don't fall into the trap of giving people the easy answers we think they want to spend their money on is by recognizing the depth and the difficulty of the human journey and being straight about that and not you know uh, sidestepping that in any way it doesn't come from outside there's no there's no magic pill there's no magic sofa that you can sleep on at night there i get concerned looking at this trend as a marketer and i'll send you the email when i find it uh advertised for you know transformational shoe polish or laundry detergent just everyone starts to label it like like food companies used to call everything light or healthy whether it was you know no one's really monitoring those phrases so people can put it out there. I, I do get concerned that people are gonna be moving away from buying the Mercedes to make them feel better, to buying some kind of vitamin or pill or practice out there that makes them feel happy. They move their spending to another area that is just kind of futile and they're not maybe exploring the internal. Yeah, I think what uh, has me not worried about it too much is that we also live in a time where people share their experience with products. And yeah. so they say, this really worked, or this didn't do anything. This, you know, oh my God, you're right, this didn't do anything. You know, this was, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so we're fortunate that uh, not only the quality of a product will be revealed through social media <laughs> and recommendation engines, but also companies are being scrutinized. And those companies that don't, uh, walk their talk and embody the values of these great transformational programs that they want people uh, to try and to use, those companies will also be smoked out and put under light. And we see that and they'll be taken down by the public. Yeah. And so it's a call out there for businesses to actually uh, you know, walk their talk thoroughly as they enter the transformation business or my prediction is you won't be around in 10 years because the customers won't let you yeah, be around. Because the other side of this is there may be some tools that do help people. Let's throw out the Apple Watch. That is a tool that does seem to be helping people monitor their health. Apple, I think, understands that in the role of, of that watch, it's going to be a side because I think Apple understands that their why out there is to enable people on their journeys. They're putting out things on that app and making alliances with insurance companies and, and different organizations that they feel I think are authentic that'll enable people on that journey. So I think it will be interesting to see what products and companies make that cut that are uniquely looking at some of these transformational journeys for people and whether they 
have a place there. You yeah, I think that I think that's interesting, and I think you're making a good point. I think uh, what is interesting to me, and maybe this is because of um, my own interest, sounds true. Created a program called the Inner MBA, which is a nine-month training program in the wisdom skills of approaching business differently, is that I think companies uh, are also going to be scrutinized for their diversity, equity, and inclusion policies, for how do they embody or not economic justice, that as you're helping somebody on an arduous inner journey of finding meaning in their life, what matters the most, they're also going to look at you and go, are you the kind of company that reflects these deep values that you're helping me live by? I think that is going to come under scrutiny. And I'm happy about that yeah, because I want to see the business world move away from being greed focused first and foremost to instead being service oriented and needing financial success, obviously, to support a service mission but it's a different kind of orientation that I think is what we need for our society to be a healthy society. And I hope the interest in some of these transformational products will move forward that business transformational agenda. They live what they're, they're talking about. I'm hopeful yeah. that that will happen. I, I, think, I think, just like you said, the companies that don't make it will be shut down. I think the companies that don't do that internally and live by it won't really be able to articulate a story. I don't know if they'll be able to transcend that to create a phony story to the rest of us that comes off authentic. I think it is going to have to be something that starts at the beginning. Um, and we see it out there with like yeah. Tom Shoe. There, there are a lot of companies out there that are, I think, behaving in a much more authentic way, or they're recognizing like, hey, you know what, our our workers in China don't reflect our company. I think some people are addressing that now, not because it's good business, but because they authentically are looking at the company they want to be. And I think that's, that's encouraging. Yep. They're social change drivers. I'd like to get your, you know, as we go down this path, not start to mass produce transformation, but it's definitely something that I guess Dan Harris calls it make mindful. Well, just to say a comment, you, yeah. you can't mass produce it. So just okay. to say that you can't, okay. I mean, it's an, in, it, and no, it's an, it yeah. is an individual journey. You can provide resources, tools, yeah. inspiration, training, apps, watches, gadgets of all kinds. Still, the person yeah. has to do something that in a certain way is counter instinctual. And I want to emphasize this. So I'm going to give you an example, okay? Sounds True just published a book called The Wim Hof Method. Oh, yeah. And it's about how cold, and it just made it onto the New York Times bestseller list. So it's, it's a very cool book. And he's from the Netherlands and his approach has to do with the power of exposure to the cold. So now all you have to do at the end of your shower, you can take a great hot shower. At the end of your hot shower, start with 15 seconds of cold water, then 30 seconds of cold water a few days later, then a minute then two minutes, and then take two or three minutes of a cold shower at the end of your shower. Okay, do you want to do this, Mike? I don't well, want to do it. I don't, want, I, I don't want to get in a cold shower. Even if they make a shower head that at the end, after it, it automatically goes cold, or I can program it, that's going to help, right? It's going to go cold. That's going to help. Because now I hop in, and it's three minutes of hot, a minute of cold. It knows what I'm trying to do. I still am the one that is under that cold shower 
having to use my breathing technique, he teaches this conscious breathing thing, so that I can get the benefits of greater blood circulation, this introduction of the right amount of stress on my body so that my cells respond and I have greater vitality. I still have to do the work of withstanding that cold shower. And it's the same thing with mindfulness and meditation. It is uncomfortable, maybe not as much as a cold shower, but it's uncomfortable to start to watch your mind and to see how it goes in these circular patterns of useless whatever and to be like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm thinking again. I'm trying to be aware of the fact that I'm thinking and I'm thinking about how I, you know, wished I had, you know, uh, chocolate chips in the pantry and I don't and or whatever people think about. Obviously, that's something I think about. Anyway, so it's like, that's painful. It's actually painful. It's against our comfort instinct to do any kind of spiritual practice, to stay on that uh, Peloton bike, any of the things we do. We have to overcome. So it's up to us as human individuals to do that work for a greater good. And so I just want to put into the person, these are brave people who are doing it, who are picking up the app and doing it. So it's made available. So it's made simplified. So it's made easier. Good. We need these on-ramps. Hopefully, People will take the on-ramp. It's not going to get you all the way to the great state they say it is. So let's bring that down yep. several notches. Might it introduce you to something? Might it give you the taste? If you do any kind of Mick mindfulness thing, even for a few minutes, you are suddenly going to have, I think at some point, maybe not suddenly, you are at some point going to have an experience where you get it that your awareness and the thoughts you're having are not the same thing. You're not your thoughts. Right. You're not wholly identified with your thinking mind anymore. It's going to dawn on you at some point. It's going to dawn on you because you're spending even just a few minutes a day becoming aware of thoughts and sensations instead of identifying with the thinking mind. Okay. That is a huge developmental step for people. You mean I'm not a thinker, that's not who I am, is the thinking mind. I'm not, what am I? I'm a field of receptive awareness in which thoughts arise and then they go away. Oh my God, what is that field of awareness? I don't even know what it is. Does, is it there after I die? I don't know. This is really interesting. I'm gonna go on a deeper journey now. This is big stuff. So it's just a gateway for people. And I'm so glad it's made available in all these easy and accessible ways. I don't feel critical of that. I'm fine with it. Just don't promise that it's more than what it is. You know, you answered my question because I was wondering if you were concerned about that trend where it is becoming, uh, I'm a big follower of Wim Hof. I have been for a while. So, And he's a perfect example of someone that, uh, I love that guy, but at the same time, he could have easily been discarded as a crazy person if someone really didn't look. He's the best. He's the best. He's the best kind of crazy person, and he is. Yeah. And he's committed to science, which is interesting. Very yeah. committed, and as a result, as you were pointing to, he was uh, willing to partner with university research labs so that there would be science to back up 
his methodology, the Wim Hof method. Same thing with mindfulness. It's because of all the studies that have been done that our culture is now finding uh, this approach credible because there are so many studies that show that it helps people with chronic pain. It helps people who have depression. I mean, there's, you know, upwards of a thousand studies now on practicing mindfulness. The cold exposure, I've been a big fan of. And uh, when I first started doing it, I think I got a lot of strange looks in my house about it. But, uh, and I, I even had someone come up to me in a, at a running race saying, hey, what are you doing to lower your time? And I told him, you know, I'm doing these, these ice baths, you know, it's based on these, this work. And they're like, you know, normal, normal tends to be overrated. In the United States, someone like me, normal is high blood pressure, maybe type two diabetes, probably really stressed out, probably doesn't like their job. Normal is, is way overrated. And some of the things that like you, what you're saying, these insights from the edge, they may sound strange, but um, so did yoga 20 years ago. So did, uh, I, had a, I had a friend who worked for a uh, pasta sauce company and you could, uh, this is a while ago, but at one point spaghetti was considered as strange in the American diet or as ethnically unusual as maybe kimchi, what might be today. And they spent a fair amount of time making pasta and, and spaghetti a normal American thing. Now that's a strange analogy, but I think Wim Hof will be a very, I think he'll be well known in the United States at some point. And I think the idea of taking and cold exposure is gonna be I think as normal as taking a, a walk <laughs> might be. I, I really do. I think some of these things are going to penetrate our society um, as we start to learn more about them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after listening to this podcast, some entrepreneur out there is going to create the timer for the shower to make yep. it easier for me. Great. Good. But the point remains, you did the hard work of right. getting in an ice bath. You had to do that. Yeah. And that, that's not easy. And you did it because there was some way that you wanted to tap into greater human potential, your own greater potential. You wanted yeah. to do that. One piece of this economy that I've been kind of watching closely is this whole idea that as transformation starts to take more of a center stage in people's life, the idea that the paths of mysticism and the paths of science seem to be colliding. You mentioned it about Wim Hof. You mentioned about mindfulness. A lot of these things sound very woo-woo until you see the numbers around mindfulness or the cold exposure. And it's undeniable about, you know, it, uh, in, you know with, with Wim Hof, the, uh, the inflammation, some of the things that they have come out of that. I'm just wondering, can you speak to that? Are you seeing the same thing? And, and uh, what are well, your I think thoughts it, on that? It's a, I think it shows you uh, the, the wider Western culture we're in needs to hear things from doctors in white lab coats. When I was 22, I didn't need a doctor in a white lab coat to tell me that when I meditated and got in touch with infinite awareness as an aspect, dimension of my own being, that I felt a deep sense of belonging and peace. I didn't need a doctor to tell me that. I was asserting that. Yeah. from my experience. And then people say, oh, you know, whatever, crazy, crazy mystic living in Boulder, going for long walks, you know, who cares? We don't care. What Western culture wants to see is the lab results. Oh, extending lifespan. Oh, lowering 
you know, inflammation. Oh, helping, you know, with chronic pain in this way or that way. Oh. They, when, when those results can be seen, then suddenly it's safe. It becomes safe territory. That's just how the Western mind works. In every era of society throughout time, the leading scientists of that time felt very comfortable they understood how the world worked. In fact, maybe overconfident based on you know, how wrong they were. We're in that probably same mind. I think a lot of scientists now are at least a little bit more humble around dark matter and some things. Our perception of reality, you know, we're not our thoughts. Yeah, no, I, think it, our perception, I think our perception of reality is going to continue to be wildly challenged because I think the current status quo view, just first of all, that what we can see is what is primarily existing. And if we can't see it, it doesn't exist. That is going to be challenged. As we develop finer measuring devices, I think we're gonna see things like energy healing. You don't hear people talking about that right now. They're going to talk about it in the next several decades. You don't hear people talking about, you know, connection with ancestral energies as something that could be measured. I think you're gonna see all kinds of mystical phenomenon start to be measured. And I think it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, I think so too. Even some of the things like you take a look at what people are doing with uh, ayahuasca and how it, th those types of substances, um, you know, obviously they went off on a bend in, in the 60s and got this stigma, but the idea that there may be opening up, uh, I guess we don't understand what's really going on there. I think you'll find this interesting. Sounds True just published a book by uh, Dr. Dilip Jesty. It's called Wiser. And he works uh, in Southern California at a university and he uh, works in the psychiatry department. And he's looking at which parts of the brain are connected with wisdom. And is it possible, and he believes this will happen in the next couple of decades, we will be able to take pills that increase our capacity for wisdom because we will be stimulating certain parts of the brain that, and blood flow in those parts of the brain that correlate with the qualities of compassion and empathy uh, and uh, deep listening. And he's created a whole index of how do we measure wisdom? How does it relate uh, to brain function? So he believes that we will have a wisdom pill around the corner that we can take. Or not take, depending on, but, but yeah. That's, I, that's, I think I'm going to make people take that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, every morning, take two. Uh, as we start to move into these areas and as things start to seem less edgy and more traditional, um, yoga, uh, mindfulness, Winhof method, just some of these things that just are proving out to be very interesting ways of enhancing people's lives and happiness. Is there anything that really excites you? Uh, you're, 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 is there something that you are saying, this, this is going to be an interesting thing to sit back and watch or be a part of? Is there anything out there? Uh, well, I think, I don't, I don't have an answer quite to that. I think yeah. the area of greatest concern that I have has to do with how humans relate to the environment yeah. and what it will take for us to perceive and feel that we're not separate from nature, but that we're an expression of nature. 
So to really know that and that we are willing to make all kinds of changes so that we can protect and preserve the environment. And so I'm, I'm very passionate about that. And I'm also very passionate about how humans can take each other's perspective and we can have a revolution of empathy so that we don't experience the kind of divisiveness that we see. So those are probably the two issues that are the most concerning to me. Mm -hmm. So breakthroughs in that arena, any kind of breakthroughs in those areas are important to me and I really wanna see them happen. Yeah, on the environment, Native Americans, other cultures, obviously we're a lot more connected to this to their world. And uh, we definitely feel, and I'm not sure whether it's, you know, we go from an air conditioned car to an air conditioned house and we kind of feel separated by it or, or worse above it. it. Most, there's definitely this feeling that it's, it's taken for granted that we're not necessarily part of the natural world. We're disconnected from dolphins and buffalo. And do you think yeah, we're just, we're disconnected. And I think there's this idea that we believe that we are the apex of creation. And talk about some ideas that we have about reality, some misconceptions that we have. That's a huge misconception in my mind. We're not appreciating the qualities and the capacities and the intelligences and the multi-sensorial brilliance that a bison or a dolphin has. And we need to. We need to recognize that we're a kindred and that uh, kinship uh, changes our dominator view. And I think that dominator view is tremendously dangerous. And I think one of the great um, healing approaches, and you know, I don't think there's necessarily a Mick mindfulness solution to this, is you just gotta get out with nature and be with it. Get into a kayak and spend hours, lie on a forest floor, spend time with your back next to a tree, sitting up for a few hours, you know, smell dirt. It's just critical. I think we need to recognize our kinship with the earth in a deeper way through exposure, time in nature. So that's, that's my sense. I totally agree with you on that. What the Japanese call a walk through the woods. I guess it translates best in our language to spa. They're, yeah. You know, they, there are some cultures out there that get it. And they, you know, I think they viewed it as a medicinal activity. You know, not, but uh, I also uh, think then when we are in touch with what we love, and it's hard not to love the earth and the natural world because it's so compelling, it's so beautiful, and it's what we are too. So it's our nature. So we're loving our very own nature. And when we love it, we will make sacrifices and protect it. We will give our lives to protect it. So I think we need to make that connection as part of our transformational journey. Yeah, I agree. Environment and empathy. Yeah. I think that's a, a, maybe a good way to close. This has, been right. a, this has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Really, my my uh, pleasure. Fun to meet you. Nice to meet you. Okay, I hope you. we stay in touch. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Yep.